2: This message was preached in 1979 at the annual Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hope Sound, Florida. It was preached by V. O. Egan, and it is titled Balaam a Truth Rejector. I trust you will enjoy this wonderful message. I'm reading to you from the book of Numbers, chapter 23, and verse number 10. <clears throat> From the book of Numbers, chapter 23, and verse number 10, the last part of the verse. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. That is a very beautiful prayer. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Now, this prayer was uttered by the poet-preacher by the name of Balaam. Whenever we study about Balaam, it's a very startling type of a study, I would dare to call Balaam the angelic devil. That's not a perfect name, but it fits him perhaps best of anything we could use. The study of Balaam is a very perplexing study. He's a perplexing prophet, for a strange prophet. For there's such a mixture of good and evil. There's such a mixture of stardust and mud in his life. <clears throat> but we take a little time and review some of the matters about <clears throat> this poet, prophet by the name of Balaam. Balaam has some ex had some excellent qualities about his life. Excellent. They were so magnificent until they thrill you with admiration as you study about them. Then he had some other characteristics that you shudder almost to read about them, very vile. Yet he's altogether human, so don't forget that he was a human being just like us. And Now, when you look at Balaam on the angelic side, you discover there are many noble qualities. And the first one I would mention is he was a very brilliant man. A very brilliant man. He was a great orator. I would not be surprised but what the people called him, the silver-tongued orator. I think he was a tremendous speaker. For to convince yourself of that, all you would need to do would be read from the book of Numbers, chapter 22, 23, and 24. The facts of the case are Balaam had gifts that equaled a genius. They were tremendous. He was a tremendous man on the angelic side. The second thing that we notice about Balaam is the fact that he had a lofty conception of righteousness. And, and that's always a wonderful thing for anybody to possess him. The Hebrew people did not excel him in this respect, for you hear Balak's question. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of the year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Then you note the majesty of Balaam's answer. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly? with thy God. That's a tremendous answer. Sounds like New Testament writing, really. When you read it, it's a tremendous, tremendous utterance. So you see that Balaam had a tremendous conception of righteousness. What doth the Lord require of thee? Had a quite a comprehension evidently of what the Lord required of us. Then he was a man of genuine conviction. Oh, I like to meet people with some conviction, some stability about their lives. and That's just not swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Some men and women and young people who t- stand tall and straight and have some conviction. But we are producing a generation of young people as well as many older people that hardly have any convictions at all of any kind. It disturbs me to think about the kind of youth that we're producing in this day. They just kindly go with anything and take any direction as if it really didn't matter after all. But not Balaam. He had some some genuine convictions. He had... Some convictions that were well-defined concerning his duty. And to almost all of these convictions he became untrue. But to one of them he remained true, in a certain literal sense, to the end. For he told Balak at the beginning that if he were to offer him a house full of silver and gold, that he would not go beyond... The word of the Lord. He would not say more nor less than God had informed him that he should say or do. Now, to this vow, he remained true in a literal sense, perhaps, and though he broke it, the spirit of it into fragments. So, when you first meet Balaam, he's a man of genuine conviction. Very refreshing to meet a man like that. Now the next point is he possessed an amazing knowledge of God. Isn't that tremendous? I wish I knew more about God. I I believe there's a lot more to learn and to know and to understand about God. And Balaam had an amazing knowledge of God. He knew how to pray. He knew how to find his way into the secret with God. And God Talk to him as friend with friend. So far as the records show, no other man than Moses had such intimacy with God as did Balaam. Really, it seemed as if prayer was a habit with him. I think he must have been on his knees praying when the text verse was uttered. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Evidently, he had stood, or at least known, been by the bedside of those that died. And after all, there is a difference in the death of the wicked and the death of the righteous. Those of you, most preachers who pastored for years, have had times when they stood the bedsides of those who were dying and they were acquainted with. And there is a difference. I remember not too long back, A man of our church was past was dying. The doctors had called in the early morning and said they did not believe he could live through the day. So Sister Reagan and I went to the man's home and got his wife. And we went to the hospital in the city which was some few miles away from our town. And uh, we spent the day there in about middle of the afternoon. The man's wife said, Brother Reagan, I... I can't seem to stand the strain any longer. Would you stay by his side? And I said, oh, yes. I'll be happy to stay right here. You feel free, you and Sister Reagan, to go on. And before they left, we had prayer. He'd been spitting up considerable blood and coughing and having quite a difficulty. And the doctors had predicted he would not last through the day. And before the man's wife and my wife left, we had a prayer time. And while we were praying, the man said, I believe God is healed me. The pain is all gone. And my wife and the man's wife, they left the room, and I was remaining in the room with him. And finally he said, Brother Egan, I'm getting cold. And I unzipped the oxygen tent and pulled the towels up around his shoulders. I said, is that better? He said, thank you, that's better. As we continued there for a little while, he said, I'm getting so. I'm not able to see very well. He said, maybe you ought not to let anybody else come in the room to visit. I said, I'll be glad to respect your wishes. In a few moments, uh, brother-in-law and niece came. And members of the family, I did not feel at liberty to advise them not to come in, so they came in. And uh, he had testified to the nurse after his wife had left. She came in, and he said, Nurse, I believe God has healed me. The pain is all gone. I feel comfortable. And he was very happy, and then he had testified to his brother-in-law and his niece that he felt God had touched him and healed him. And while the brother-in-law was standing at the foot of the bed and I was standing on one side and the niece was standing on the other side of the bed and I was talking to the brother-in-law a bit, we were conversing and the niece said, Look, Brother Regan, look. And I looked and the man just had his hand up like this. I unzipped the oxygen tank quickly. I took hold of his hand and said, George, George. But there was no answer. We summoned the nurse. The nurse summoned the doctor. And the doctor said, He's dead. But well, I, I tell you, I was a bit disturbed. Of course, the wife and my wife was notified. and After a bit of time had elapsed, we had gotten into the car and started back to our home. And as we drove along, I was a bit discouraged. I thought, well, here's a man who testified, and he felt God had healed him. And now he's dead. There isn't any question about it. He's dead. And as we drove along, It seemed as if suddenly it dawned upon me what had happened. God did heal him and healed him forever. He was a good man and he died without a pain. I tell you there's a difference in the way righteous people die and in the way sinners die. There's a difference. And Balaam knew that. And he prayed, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Now, Balaam seemed to be eager for divine guidance. I like this about Balaam. When the delegation came to talk to him composed of the elders of Moab and Midian, they came to see him to tell him that Israel was camping on their borders and that they were not able to fight or do battle with Israel because Israel was too strong and mighty for them. And these elders wanted Balaam to come and curse Israel. For they said, We recognize whom you blesseth is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. And we want you to come, Balaam, and take care of Israel on our borders. Now when Balaam received this invitation, and they made him quite a nice little offer if he would come. I believe he did what is natural for any Christian to do. And that is, he said, I'll pray about it. Any time a problem arises, it's a safe matter to pray. So Balaam said, I'll pray about the matter. I do not know whether I can go or not, but I'll spend some time and pray about it and seek the guidance of God in and he went alone with God and sought divine guidance and found it. And you can always seek divine guidance if you're sincere about it. If you're honest about it, you can find divine leadership uh, for your life. That problem you face now, if you will honestly and earnestly seek divine leadership, you can find it. God has provided a way whereby we can find divine leadership If we earnestly and honestly seek it. And he sought divine leadership. And he was in earnest about it. And God said, you must not go. God told Balaam, you must not go. That Israel was blessed. And for you to go curse Israel and oppose them would be wrong. So Balaam told the delegation, frankly, that he could not go and he sent them home. He just frankly told them, I can't go. God says it's the proposition's wrong. It would be wrong for me to oppose Israel, for God says they're blessed, and you'll have to go home, and I cannot go. He frankly told them and sent them home. Now, up to this point, you could hardly improve upon Balaam's life. He's been such an excellent character. But in spite of all of this, Balaam is not one of the honored saints of the Bible. His name does not appear on the name of the heroes of the faith, as recorded in Hebrews 11. Rather, he is sharply denounced. I believe there is no other character in the Bible who is as sharply denounced as was Balaam. My, it just seems that the scathing words from Peter. And John and Jude all comment, give comment on this man by the name of Balaam. And they mention him in bitter denunciation. Judas is not spoken of in such caving words as is Balaam. So if you watch Balaam, you'll watch, you'll thought you will see the devil gaining victory over the angelic side of his life. And. Now, the decline of Balaam is revealed in four separate scenes of the Bible. In the first place, one day a delegation came, a larger group of men, higher men of position. They came, prominent men, and they offered Balaam a far greater reward than they had offered him before. If he would come and curse Israel. And when they came, they said, We, we come from Balak, and he tells us to make you these offers, and for you to let nothing, let nothing hinder you from coming. Your conscience, your right, your duty, your God. Don't let anything hinder you from coming. And they made him quite a handsome reward. Now, at this point, Balaam had a wonderful opportunity to really show what he had, he had a wonderful opportunity to really stand up tall and strong, and just say to this delegation, "I already know what God has said, and I cannot go. God would not allow me to go, for the for the project is wrong in the first place. And for you to come and offer me a far greater reward, do you think it'll make it right?" Now, I would say to you that if a project is wrong when there's a penny involved, it would still be wrong if there's a million involved. In. And if a matter's wrong when it's unpopular, it'll still be wrong when it becomes popular. For if a matter's wrong, it's wrong. And Balaam had an opportunity to stand up and really show what he had. But you know what Balaam did? Poor Balaam. He said to that delegation, I will pray about it. Well, let me ask you this. What? Pray about it. He already knew what God wanted. And let me ask you, why have you been praying about Samantha's link Did you not already know what God wanted? Balaam said, I will ask the Lord again. And when he did that, he began to tamper with his
0: conscience. And when you know what this old book says and when you know what God wants you to do and you go back and pray about it again, you're tampering with your conscience.
2: And this is exactly what Balaam did. He began to tamper with his conscience and one by one he began to blow the lights out in his soul. And this is what's happening all around us. People Men, women, boys and girls are blowing the light out in their soul. When he asked God the first time, he really wanted to know divine leadership. And God spoke to him and made leadership clear to him what the right position would be. But when Balaam prays about this project the second time, he's not asking to know what is right or what is wrong. He's asking for the privilege to do a known wrong. You say, well, sensible people wouldn't do that. And if I were you, I wouldn't be too sure about it. It's happening. It happened here. Why, they said, we'll give you a larger reward. It'll be much, much more. The reward will be much more handsome than our previous reward. And here goes poor Balaam back to pray. About the same thing he already prayed about and knew what the Lord's leadership was. Really, what Balaam is doing, he wanted the promotion and the money. But at the same time, he wanted to stay on good terms with God. And I, I tell you now, he was in a hard place. And when you, when something arises in your life, and you want to have your own way, and at the same time you want God to have his way, you're in a hard place. And this is the place Balaam is in. He's in a very difficult place of life. He wants God to have his way, but he sure wants the money. And he wants the promotion that is is promised him. He's in a difficult place. Let me digress a moment at this point from the story. Why have you prayed about some things more than once? Let me ask you why you prayed about getting the television. Maybe you wanted to know what was right and what was wrong. I remember after television came into existence, naturally I was interested in knowing what was right or wrong or the right position about it. This is some years ago, of course. And one day, I was in the furniture place. And we were buying some item of furniture, and the man in the place said, "Brother Reagan, why don't you get your television?" He said it's just like having a movie in your home. Well, at that point, it settled all issues. For I haven't been to a movie since Jesus saved me. And since the man said that, I haven't been doing any praying about getting a television. And I'm not planning on doing any praying about getting a television. If I were to begin to pray about getting a television, you know what would happen? I'd begin to tamper with my conscience. I know what's right. I know what's wrong about it. If it's like having Hollywood in my living room or dead, then I don't want it. To. I'm, I'm through with that. I haven't been back since Jesus saved me. The only time... I ever went to a theater since Jesus' me. I stopped to pick up one of my brothers one night. He was there, and I just stopped to pick him up, and that's the only time I've been back to the theater since Jesus' saved me. And if the same thing's on television that's at the theater, then I don't even have to pray about getting it. And when you come and you say, I prayed about getting it before I got it,
0: all you're saying to me is you convinced yourself Here's a man praying. I'll go back and I'll pray again about what to do. He already knew what to do.
2: Why did you pray about going to the sports events, the big ball games? Did you not know what was right and what's wrong? Did you ever read in the Bible where the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Did you do you not read your bibles? Can't you see really what's happening here? Why did you pray about it? Well, you say, my
0: friends were going and they profess religion and I got to praying about it and I
2: went. You're not you're not really convincing anybody when you say you prayed about it. Why did you pray about wearing jewelry? Well, you say, I prayed about it. Really, what are you saying? When you say you prayed about it. Didn't you read in the Bible where well, it's wrong to wear gold and jewelry? You're not reading your Bibles? Why would you pray about something when the Bible says it's wrong? If you a praying at all and you've got leadership about it from the Bible, that ought to settle it and you ought never to pray about it. Why did you take it off? And then later you prayed about it and put it back on. Wedding band included. Why? Just why do people do what they do? Where is the problem prevailing that they're participating in? You say, well,
0: I prayed about using tobacco. Or I prayed about going to the beauty parlor. Or I prayed about, if you were a woman, I prayed about having my hair not cut or cut
2: can't we let the Bible settle up issues for us? Why, what's wrong with us in this day that we live in? I fear the same thing that's wrong with us is the same thing that's wrong with Balaam. He had a major problem here. He wanted to please himself without displeasing God. And maybe this is your problem. You've been wanting to please yourself. You don't want to displease God, but you want to please yourself. And you'd like to do what you want to. You say, I've been in this straight jacket long enough, and I'm going to have my way for a while. You may have your way. And you may have prayed about it. But you aren't really saying anything when you tell me you prayed about it. What Balaam is doing, all he's doing when he's praying about it this time, the second time, he's
0: begging God. For the privilege of doing
2: a known wrong. That's all he's doing. He's begging God for for an indulgence. That's all in the world he's doing. You say, well, people wouldn't do that, would they? I have fears that millions of people are doing it today. I have fears that millions of people are doing it. So Balaam now, he prays and he prays. And finally, in prayer, alone
0: on his knees, perhaps, he convinces himself
2: that the thing he once thought was wrong is now right. Really. He arrives at this conclusion that now it's right, and the story in the Bible says God told him to go. Isn't that strange?
0: You say, well, I thought God told him not
2: to go. God did tell him not to go. And now, the record says, as he prayed this second time, that God told him to go. The only way I know how to answer that is this. God will not force Balaam to do anything, and God will not force you to do anything. You're what we call a free moral agent. You can do What you like to do. And if you want to do it bad enough, you can probably pray through on it. And God told him to go. Now, Balaam has succeeded on his knees only in blinding himself. Isn't that something? You say, really, Brother Egan now let's be honest about it. Do you think it's possible for a person on his knees praying to succeed in blinding himself? Yes, sir, I sure do. It happened here. And it's happened in a lot of people's lives. And I know a lot of them. I could give you names and addresses that people used to live different than they live now. They still profess the same kind of religion they used to profess, but they admit they've changed. They see things different than they used to see them. And they're telling you the truth. They are seeing things different than they used to see them. Actually, they do see things different than they used to. But Balaam has succeeded in that most subtle and dangerous form of lying, lying to oneself, lying to yourself. So he arises from his knees, resolved to go. For God now says, go. And he gets up from his knees. He's resolved to go. Now the next scene, you see him on the journey. And the first thing you know is that God is angry with him for going. Or oh, did God not tell him to go? Yes. Did God tell him first not to go? Yes, God told him not to go. The whole project was wrong. God informed him to start when. And here he got to praying and praying and praying and praying. And he kept on praying and he kept wanting the promotion and wanting the honor and wanting the money and wanted to go. And finally God says go. And he gets up to go. And he starts. And he's on the journey. And
0: God is angry with him for going. And the angel of the Lord stands in the way as an adversary. And the poor old donkey that he's riding turns out of the way. And he pulled that old donkey back in line and said, you get back in line.
2: And the angel went ahead again and stood in the way. And this time, the poor old donkey seeing the angel and the the donkey was trying to surround the angel and run into the sand and crushed his foot all. He said,
0: "If if I had a sword, I'd take care of you right here. The angel went ahead
2: and stood in the way again. And this time, the poor old animal just lay flat down. And Balaam went into a rage and said, If I had a sword, I'd bring your life to an end right here. Tell me, what's the matter with that preacher? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? Must be something wrong with him. Why is he so irritable? What's he so upset about? Let me ask you. Why are you so irritable at times? Maybe it takes no more than the slamming of a door. Or maybe it takes no more than the whining of one of the babies to send you into an active volcano. Maybe it takes a very small few words from your wife or your husband and it sends you into an active volcano. Why is it at times you're so easily touched off? Oh, I know. It's nerves. That's what you said, you know. I know. I wouldn't disdain the fact that nerves make a difference in some people's lives. I know that. If you have a nervous problem, I'm not, I'm not decrying it. But I fear, I have fears that too often bad nerves are sometimes a result of a disloyalty to your conscience. Not always, but I say many times. Here's a man who's in trouble. What's the meaning of all of this? Many people have a civil war within.
0: Let me tell you that no man ever goes wrong. That doesn't go against God. Before you go wrong, you have to go against God.
2: And the Holy Ghost is able to make His leadership known to you. If you really want to know divine leadership, you say, well, I got the praying and I'm confused. Well, this is what happens when you get to praying about something you know is wrong, and you get to praying about it, you get confused. I could read you here in the Bible about people believing a lie that they might be down. No person purposely believes a lie. Oh, no. You've got too much sense to purposely believe a lie. You wouldn't do that. Oh, no. You wouldn't purposely believe a lie. Well, how do you, how does people believe a lie? They come up to light. they understand what God wants, and they do not want to do it. And they may get to praying about something, and the first thing they know, they're confused, they're confused. And then they say, I just don't really know what to believe about this, and I don't know what to believe about that. What's happening? They're moving from the truth in the direction of believing a lie. And after a while, they end up believing a lie that they might be damned. But you say, but Brother
0: Reagan, I still profess religion. I know I've changed from what I used to be, but I still profess the same kind of religion.
2: Well, normally we call them backsliders. Normally we say a person that once knew God and broken with God, we call them backsliders. But it's not altogether so. It would be true. Let me identify it if I can at this point. If you once knew God, and you have broken with God, and you know you've broken with God, then of course you're a backslider. But, if you have once known God, and gradually there came a change, there came a shift. You still profess the same kind of religion. You still teach your Sunday school class. You may still preach at the pulpit. You may still run the routine of religious affairs. But there's been a gradual shifting. It's been gradual, and the shifting has been so gradual. You still profess. You still talk about heaven. You still talk about living right. But you have broken with God, and the shift and the breakage has been so gradual. You hardly have become aware of what has happened. And now you've arrived at the state of apostasy. You're not a normal backslider. You're an apostate. You've missed God's will. You've missed God's way. You may still talk about praying. You may still say, well, I sought God's leadership. But you're an apostate, really. Really, you've fallen into apostasy. And seldom does people get jarred out of apostasy. Seldom. There's not much hope for you when you arrive in, in apostasy. I wouldn't say there isn't any hope, but to say that I say there's not much hope. Because you settle down so easy and you've gradually relaxed, your grip upon you know the Bible is not really a living book, and you know you don't have long seasons along with God until your soul literally becomes aglow with the presence of the divine. You understand that if you be serious, but you still profess religion. You don't have family prayer. You do watch television. You do go to the ball games. You do wear jewelry. You do cut your hair. If you're a woman, you may let your hair grow. If you're a man, you let it get too long. And you still profess religion, but you know, if you would settle down to sincerity, you know there's been a slippage, there's been a change in you. And you may be an apostate even now. So, here's Balaam. He's so irritable. He said, if I had a sword, I'd end your life right there. Here's a man. If you let me talk seriously about him a little bit here. Here's a man who loses his temper. And in the ordeal, he gets his foot crushed. I wonder in the bargains of life maybe you you have you have some problems maybe maybe you lost your temper and things went wrong and you still wanted to profess religion right on and in the bargain Balaam got his foot crushed by his own he's a cripple by his own wrongdoing I wonder if that's not true in many a life of people still who frequent the borders of our holiness movements they are crippled by their own wrongdoing they're crippled by by their own wrongdoing. And this is not just something that happened in layman's life. And I heard of a man, a pastor, and one of his members who went to a revival meeting at another church. And the preacher was preaching away in that revival meeting, and he said, Some of you won't buy on television, but you'll go to some of your members' house and you'll watch it with them. And this layman who had gone to this particular revival with his pastor. When the preacher evangelist said, some of you won't buy a television, but you'll go to your member's house and watch it with them. This particular member who's sitting by his pastor, he said, he's talking about you now. And the evangelist continued. And finally he said, some of you have bought a television and you sit and watch it. And then the member said to his pastor, he's talking about me now. Really, friends, a lot of people are crippled by their own wrongdoing. No use blaming somebody else. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame your pastor. Don't blame somebody else. You're crippled by your own wrongdoing. And many people today, they have crushed feet
0: and crushed hands and crushed hearts.
2: This is is their problem. This is not true because God does not love us. It's true because we've turned away from God. And as Balaam, we love the wages of unrighteousness. Hear me now. Are you listening to me? Friends? A lot of people, a lot of people now, a lot of people in our day love the wages of unrighteousness. Oh, they'd like to stay on good terms with God. Of course they would. They may even talk about bowing their knees. And they may even talk about having peace. Why, there's a lot of cheap talk about religion in this day that we live in. I remember hearing about a professor in a Christian college. A church school, if you please. And this professor never really accepted the virgin birth, the virgin conception and virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Really never accepted it because it just didn't agree with his biology. And over a period of years, he battled this issue, really, about whether he believed the virgin conception and the virgin birth of Jesus Christ or not. And finally, he said, I'm going to settle it one way or the other. Either I do believe it or I don't believe it. So he gets his Bible, he gets his commentaries, and he spends time reading the story and the records and what the commentators say about it. And finally way in the wee hours of the night by his on his knees by his bedside he settled that he did not believe
0: in the virgin
2: conception and virgin birth of Christ. And he said I never had such peace in my life as I had at that moment. Sirs and madams, let me let me talk tell you frankly here a moment. When people get up and testify and say, I have peace and I've been spending time in praying, I'd naturally like to hear people talk like that. But really, that isn't the deciding factor whether, whether they are obedient to God or not.
0: What that professor did, he simply said it, He did not believe in the virgin conception and birth of Christ. And as a result of it, he said, I had peace.
2: I believe what happened the last dealings of the Holy Ghost has gone from heaven.
0: He probably lived and died
2: with a religious profession and propped into eternity. Lost. It's no certain sign you're right with God when you talk about you have peace. It may be all you're saying is I've arrived at the point where I believe a lie and it will be damned. You say, is the dividing line that close? Yes, sir, friends, it's that close. I tell you, if this old book is not a living book to you, and if prayer is not an active thing in your life, you better be careful. You can miss this thing easier than you think you can You may still teach your Sunday school class. You may still man your pulpit. You may still lead the song service. You may still run the missionary society. You may still teach the youth of the church that if you miss God's will and God's way with a full obedience, you'll end up in apostasy. If you happen to know you're a backslider, you might recognize you're a backslider. But a lot of people end up in apostasy instead of being just what we normally call a backslider. Now at this point, when Balaam gets into all of this trouble and the poor animal lies right right flat down and he, he then finally sees for himself what's happening, then Balaam says, well, if it's causing all of this trouble, I'll just go back. I've heard a preacher say,
0: if it's causing all of this trouble, because I got a television, I'll just get rid of it.
2: But it's not that easy solved. It's not that easy out when you get involved. Balaam said, I'll just go back home if it's going to cause all of this kind of trouble. But you know what God said? God said, No, you go on. You say well how do you explain that i'm not sure i can i know how to explain this strange angel of the lord who at one time opposed the preacher and at the same time urged him on except to say that's altogether true to of life true to life you had better walk carefully with god you you can accumulate more trouble than you know how to pay for you can buy more than you know what to do with this is what we talk about the old-fashioned second blessing hole in this way and the people who talk about this being a hard way, to me, that's a foreign language. I don't understand that. Friend, it's a good way. It's a wonderful way. It's a blessed way. It's not straight laced. No. When you love Jesus Christ, and He's the bride in the morning star, and He's the fairest of ten thousand years old, and He's the lily of the valley of the rose of Sharon,
0: we don't talk about it being a hardship to walk this way. No, sir, we join in it. Saying there's no thirsting for our last pleasures, nor adorning rich and gay, for I've found a greater treasure, one that fadeth not away.
2: It's not a hardship to serve Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing that I ever tried in my life, (laughs) it's the most wonderful thing in the universe. When a man seeks to do right and honestly seeks to do right, he sees clearly. But when you begin to try to do right and wrong at the same time, and this is a lot of people's problem. they'd like to do right and wrong at the same time, then he gets confused. The Bible says, if thine eye I be single the whole body shall be full of light. but if thine eye I be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. And if the light which is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. And as sure as you play fast and loose with your conscience, you'll dull it and kill it and get so you can't see strength. And this is what's happening. This is why people say, I don't see things as I used to see them. You know what happened to them? I can tell you. They trifled with their conscience and trifled with divine light and they got to the place they didn't see strength And I would propose to you at this point, there's a lot of people today in the once in grace, always in grace doctrine on one side and on the other side, they're in the charismatic movement and tongues movement, not because they believed it was right at one time, they believed it was all wrong on both sides. But they trifle with light, they travel with conscience, they played loose with God. And today, they're either back in once in grace, always in grace, or they're over in the tongues movement. What happened to them? They missed God's way, they missed God's will, they missed God's plan. And now, they, they're, they're, it's revealing it in their life. Now, in the third scene of Balaam's life here, he's come to Balak. And he says, we'll have to make a big sacrifice, build seven altars. Oh yes, we got to be religious about this thing now. It just doesn't matter how far we've strayed and how far we may be missing the way. We've still got to do it all under the guise of religion. So build us seven altars and let's make sacrifices.
0: Let's make it look like we're really having something.
2: They may tell you about their work of their church and they built a beautiful edifice, $350,000 or maybe a million dollars. They built it and the. The pews are comfortable in the carpenter thick and their preacher is a wonderful preacher and their Sunday school class and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're doing that. They even may talk more glibly about it than you do. They're trying to mind God. For we got to do it on the religious cloak now. So Balaam reaffirms the one rule that he will not violate and he declares that he's going to say what God tells him to say at all costs and he does this. But while he does it, he's guilty of the most fatal and tragic dishonesty. He determines that he will speak the truth as he sees it, but he will do his best not to see the truth. That almost takes my breath when I think about it. Here's a man who started out wonderful, wonderful, new in his way into the secret with God, but now... He's determined that he'll speak the truth as he sees it, but he'll do his best not to see the truth. And at the
0: very first glance at Israel on the borders
2: of Balak, of Moab and Midian, there, he sees that Israel's blessed. He understands that. He sees that. But then, why didn't he pack up his little briefcase and say, Well, man, I'm sorry. I've gotten into trouble over here and God shows me that Israel's blessed and I'm just out of place here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me for coming. I, I feel very bad about it and I'm just going home. I'm sorry. You'll have to forgive me. Forget about the reward. Forget about the money. Forget about the promotion. Forget about everything. I'm sorry I got involved in this. But it's not that easy to get out of.
0: Since he's involved in it and he sees Israel's blessed, what
2: does it do? Instead of going home, all he did is change his low, changed his position. He went over to look at him from a different direction. See if I can't find some way to curse him. What's the matter with Balaam? What's wrong with him? He looks at him from a different angle to see if he can't find some way to curse him. He just changes his position from place to place. To find
0: out if there's not some way he can curse Israel so he can have their promotion and have the money.
2: You wouldn't have thought Balaam would have come to this end. And there's a lot of things I never would have thought would happen 25 years ago, but I've seen it happen. And it's still happening today. The events are not all over. It's still happening today. Oh, but thank God. There's a band of people who's remaining true in the midst of it. Thank God for every one of you that's staying true to God. There are millions of Balaams. You tell them the sun... Shines in the east and they'll look west. They don't want to see light. You tell them they're having a tremendous uh, mighty moving down at Hope Sound. You think they'll go to Hope Sound? No, sir. They'll go across the state. They aren't interested. You tell them where they could find God and find their directions anew in these last and drifting days. You think they'll come? No, sir. They'll not come. They'll go somewhere else. They'll go somewhere where old Dr. Hypocrites is preaching and they tell him it's alright to have television and it's alright to have, go to the ball games. It's alright to have worldly amusements. It's alright to freak up the beauty parlors. It's alright for the women to wear their pantsuits. It's alright.
0: Anything's alright. But they'll go there. That's where they'll go. What's wrong with them?
2: They're afraid they'll say something. And Balaam doesn't. Oh, yes, he saw Israel's blessed. He knows that. But now he simply changes his position to see if he can't find some way to curse Israel. God, help us. So Balaam boasts of his honesty in declaring the truth, but he tries hard not to see it. He tries hard not to see truth. Then the last scene in Balaam's ordeal here. Balaam has kept his vow... And he's had to go away under the displeasure of Balak without the coveted reward. He could not curse Israel. He couldn't find any way to curse them. And he had to go away under the displeasure of Balak without the reward. And he just couldn't stand it. It was just too much for the poor man. And he starts back home. How far he would got have gotten, I do not know. But he could not endure the loss. So he turned around and came back to have another meeting with Balak. And I think they had this meeting under cover of darkness. And it wouldn't be surprised but what most of the talk was in whispering tones in this meeting. And Balaam says to Balak, I have promised that I wouldn't speak beyond what God showed what God told me. And I cannot curse Israel. I just cannot curse them because God says there it would be wrong. And then in whispering tones, Balaam said to Balak, while I can't do it, I can tell you what to do. And they'll curse themselves. Well, it didn't matter with Balak. What happened? Just as long as they're taken care of. Just as long as they're out of his way. Just as long as their army was no threat to him. And Balaam said, The thing you do now is plan a big feast. A big feast. And invite the men of Israel in to this big feast. And invite the women of Moab in. And the men of Israel will so act in such a way that they'll be in trouble with God. Well, it didn't matter with, with Balak how it happened, as long as they're taken care of. So he took Balaam's advice and planned a big feast and invited the men of Israel and the women of Moab in, and you could read the story for yourself. A plague came upon Israel because
0: of their sin, and men fell by the thousands. And he who cursed them, who would not curse them in word, cursed them in the most hideous and devilish way by the cunning, cunning art of seduction.
2: Oh, makes you feel almost like beating your breast when you think about what happened. I dare say, Balaam got his reward. Doubtless too, he was promoted. He had been able not to, suvi- not to too se- severely wound his dying conscience. Doubtless, he congratulated himself that he had won without the deviating one inch from his vow to start with, I'll not say beyond what God tells me to say. He had clung to the letter, but he thrown the spirit overboard. He had kept the rule, but he violated the principle. While he spoken the truth with his lips, he was a lawyer in his heart. Balaam has many sons and daughters. Maybe you promised someone came to you one day and revealed a secret to you and you promised you wouldn't tell. And some of your close friends, you wouldn't tell them, but you allowed them to guess. Well, just what did they say? You wouldn't tell them, but they guessed. And... You kind of had a way of identifying that their guess was not right. And finally they they made a guess and you indicated. You kind of gave the nod or something that they knew that they had hit the right course. No, you didn't tell. You promised you'd keep it a secret. You wouldn't tell. And you didn't tell as far as words were concerned. But you let them know they had guessed right. So you kept the secret and kept your word but you violated the principle that you had covenanted to keep. Now, to what end or goal did this road bring Balaam? This ought to help us. To what end is the direction you're taking going to bring you? You say, I know I've changed. I don't see things like they see it here at Hope Sound. I don't see things like some of you preachers talk about. I don't, And you're telling the truth, you don't. But what end did this bring Balaam to? to make such a change here that he made. To what what became of this gifted genius who once spoke for God? What was the end of him who prayed in all sincerity that he might die the death of the righteous? The record tells a story. He did not die the death of the righteous. He died the death of the wicked. He fell amidst the forces of the enemy with the sword of Israel thrust through his heart. He died. And today... While I'm trying to talk to you about this man by the name of Balaam, he stands out before us as a charred and blackened blackened character in ruins, in other ruins, the most
0: bitterly denounced man in the whole Bible. The most bitterly denounced man in the whole Bible. What was the matter? Did he not pray, let me die the death of the righteous? Yes, he prayed it, probably prayed it
2: sincerely. But he wasn't willing to live the life of the righteous. And if you want to die the death of the righteous, sir, you're going to have to live the life of the righteous. If you're not willing to live the life of the righteous, then you might as well unpack your little suitcase. You'll not be able to die the death of the righteous. You can't die the way you don't live. He wasn't willing to live right. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. And he loved them so well that he lost us all in the mad effort to win them. And I would ask you, do you want to die the death of the righteous? After all, there's coming a moment when you're going to die. And the thing that will be important is not how much money you left in the bank. The thing that's going to be important is not what kind of an automobile you drove while you lived. The thing that's important when you're dying is not the kind of a house you lived in, nor the kind of clothes you wore. No, sir. Those are nor how many stocks and bonds you left. That's not the important thing. No, sir, friends. When you come down to the end of the way, there's only one thing that matters. I heard of a man who was wonderfully saved. He took God's way. He was a salesman, a tremendous salesman, made high money. 30000 dollars a year. To I me, mean, that sounds like good money. And he was wonderfully converted. He was—he at, attended a meeting, and God the Holy Ghost got a hold of his heart. And he went to an altar of prayer, and God wonderfully saved him. He started out to mind God. And, of course, the first thing that he faced up to was his job. For in his selling, when he would call on his clients, they would, they would drink their liquor together and have their drinks together, and then he'd get them pretty well teed up, and then he'd sell But now he knew he could not do this anymore. He was an honest man, a man of integrity. So he went to the supervisor, his supervisor, and he told the man, said, I've been converted. I'm a Christian. And I cannot serve any more intoxicating drinks. And the supervisor said to the salesman, said, Well, sir, this is the way we do business. And if you can't do business according to the principles and policy that we operate on, then maybe you better just resign. And the man didn't say, well, give me 30 days to decide. No, sir. He just said, when shall I stop? He had it settled. He had it settled. Whatever the price would be, he is willing to pay the price. He said, when shall I stop? He said, I turned my resignation in as of now. I think if I remember the supervisor promised him a 30-day salary with him not working while he looked for another job. He started looking for another task and he would tell the people who interviewed him that he was a Christian and that he would strictly do business on the basis of Christian principles. And finally, he located an interview, a man, an employer, who was willing to hire him on these bases. But he had to take about a $15,000 a year cut and that's a pretty good cut in anybody's language. And he said, it's all right, the type of salary... Just give me the job; I'll make it some way. And he took the cheap—he took the job with about a fifteen thousand dollar a year cut in salary. But he was a Christian man. He attended the prayer meeting. He attended the Sunday services. He was walking in the light. And after just a few months, he reached a place where he wasn't feeling very well. So he went to the doctor, and the doctor put him in the hospital and did some diagnostic X-rays and so forth. And The doctor finally came in and said, sir, I'm sorry to inform you, but you have cancer. And uh, it's only a matter of time. Maybe surgery was done. I'm not positive about it. But anyway, a year from the time he was at the altar and found the Lord, now he's dying. And he died. Do you suppose the $15,000 a year loss in salary made any difference to him when he was dying? Not a bit in the world. Not a bit in the world. There's only one thing that mattered, and that was he was covered with the blood. He was
0: walking in the lake. He was taking God's way. And the size of salary you make is not important. The only thing that's important is are you minding the Lord? Are you taking God's way? Don't back down. Stand up for the principles that's right. If others laugh at you and you lose your job and you lose your salary and you lose the good opinion of others, take your stand and stand there.
2: For one day, the only thing that will matter is are you right with God? Would you stand with me, please? If there happens to be anybody here you failed God. You've miserably failed Him. And you feel bad about it. And you'd like to pray around the altar. The altars are always open. They're open. Is there anybody just like to slip out of your pew, make your way down to an altar? You say, I don't want to miss heaven. I don't want to miss God's way. I don't want to go. I'd rather pray than to go to dinner. Anybody else want to come? We'd wait a moment if there are others. Our Father, bless this waiting congregation today. That man, that woman, that boy, that girl that has made a turn, Wouldst thou not do thy best to bring them back? Then there are those here that will make a turn in the tomorrows. They'll get in a different environment where holiness is made fun of and laughed at and standards are laughed at and makes it look as if it's kind of a a bunch of nitwits that take thy way. Oh, God, we're willing to be called nitwits. We're willing to be called anything. If you'll just keep us with the glory and the fire and have us ready when the great summons comes for eternity. If you'll have us ready, we'll bear any scorn by the grace of God. Would you take us through? Somehow lay thy hand on every person. Every person
0: that's here.
2: Lay thy hand on them today. These that are bowed at the altar, and maybe many others that ought to be pouted at the altar, help them to get the issue settled today to take thy way. And for all thou dost do, the glory will be thine. We ask in Jesus, name. Amen. I don't want to take for
0: the heritage of holiness that has been that
1: I don't want to lose the fire. I Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of inner church holiness convention featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855-USA.